You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. Good morning. Not too long ago, Beck and I took the kids. We were trying to get to a, uh, a park. Well, we got there. We got to a park in Lake Country, and uh, it, was, it was in the morning, and strangely, based off of our kids' habits, by the time we got to the park in Lake Country, two of our kids were already asleep in the back of the car. And we thought, this is rare. Let's take advantage of this moment. Let's, let's go for a drive. This is quiet. Parker's happy. The other two are sleeping. So we started to go on a drive. And then we went up through Vernon. And then we thought, you know what? We've never really gone too far. You know, we're still new to the Okanagan. So let's just keep driving. And before you know it, we're in a little town called Lumbee. And then before you know it, we're in a town called Cherryville, and we're driving and driving, and there's these little signs that say, next gas station. I, I wasn't really paying attention, and uh, before you know it, um, one wakes up and just kind of sleepy eye. The other one wakes up, and somebody in the back is saying, I'm hungry, and another person is crying, and and uh, the car started to get a lot more tense as the drive kept on going. And I'm like, there's got to be a gas station just around the corner. And, uh, and my wife is saying, it's time to turn around. And I'm saying, no way, we'll make it, we'll be fine. And, um, and uh, so there's somebody in the back saying, I'm thirsty. And well, we're like, oh, no, we didn't, we didn't pack any waters. We were just going to go to the park. And um, so I was like, well, what we'll do is we'll, uh, we'll just pull over. There's some snow on the side of the road. We'll empty the coffee cups. We'll pull, fill them with snow. And as they melt, the kids will have something to drink. We'll be at a gas station in just five minutes. Well, a short 45 minutes later, um, we came to a river with a ferry and we got onto the, and we thought, I, listen, I'm like, listen, there's gotta be a gas station on the other side of this ferry. So, so we go on the cross the ferry and there was a gas station, but not the kind of gas station I'm used to. It was a gas station where there's a phone and a bunch of pumps and no building. In fact, well, there was a building, but it had plywood for windows. So, so I call the number, I fill up on gas, and I'm Googling. You know, I have Google Maps. I should be confident because I have Google Maps. And I thought, let's just go get a snack for the kids. Well, there's no store open. Like, I thought, like, this is midweek. This shouldn't be, it's not late in the day. Things should be open. Well, the only thing that was there was a motel. And it's in the middle of COVID. And so we, we pull up to the motel, and the lady, like, creep the door open. Yes, what can I help you? Do you have a reservation? I said, I don't have a reservation, but I see two bags of Doritos and three Gatorades. I'll buy them all. Like, they're, they're mine. And, um, and she knew I was desperate because those were the most expensive Doritos and Gatorades I've ever bought. And um, before you know it, the kids are restless. Becca's saying, we got to find a park. There wasn't really a park to to go and play on. There wasn't a playground, so we kept on driving. Found finally a park where you would camp at, and we're like, just get them out of the car. We all need to get out of the car. And so we did. We, we ventured. We took pictures. It was beautiful. And, uh, and then we're like, we are really hungry. There's only so far you can make Doritos. You know, you can pray over them and hope that they multiply. But uh, eventually, we ended up in Nacusp, which is beautiful. Nacusp is be All of you, yep, yeah. I should have called any one of you, and you would have said, stop and turn around. But... <laughs> We ended up in Nacusp, where we had a wonderful dinner, and Nacusp is a beautiful place, and, uh, and so it's like, okay, now it's time to turn around and go home. And my thought was, I mean, the way we came had very few stops, very few things that I thought, I don't really want to go that way. So I Googled it, and there was three, I th I'm, I'm guessing, you're probably going to correct me because you'll Google map it as soon as I say this, but I'm pretty sure it was three and a half hours back from Nacusp if I went the way I came or four and a half if I went up through Revelstoke. 
And what I did know, I've done that drive to Revelstoke. I'm like, there is definitely way more like stops and places for food and things between Revelstoke and Kelowna. So in all of my godly wisdom, we drove up to Revelstoke and came back. And so what started as a trip to the park, 15 minutes away from our home, ended up being a 13 and a half hour day in the car. And um, praise to the Lord for his grace and mercy in the fact that I'm still married. And it's just the reality. We, we go off of in a bit of curiosity and we end up in a place where we kind of go, how did I get here? And how am I going to get back, right? We've been there. Maybe you've come to a place this morning or maybe you're in a place in life where you're feeling that a little bit too. Whether it's at your lowest or you're empty, you're kind of going, how did I get here? You keep running back as we do. We run back to the same vice that eases the pain, but in the end we know it hurts more than it helps. Or maybe you feel like you've been doing all the right things. I know the path. I got the Google Maps. And so you're going to church. You're reading your Bible. You're listening to all the right music and podcasts and preaching and yet you still feel spiritually dry, spiritually empty. Maybe you're at a place where you go, I know I love Jesus, I just, I can't remember why. That happens, because it does. It just starts as a curiosity, and it ends up becoming a wandering, and before you know it, you're, you're lost, because you've committed. You're so proud that you won't turn around, what started as a nice trip to the park ended up being a 13 and a half hour trip of crying, chaos, and hunger, and stress. Well, this is kind of what we do in the Christian life sometimes. This is what we do in life in general. And we, this word lost, we use it in Christianese in church culture, and we talk about it as if it's the term for someone who is just completely not following God, who has no association with Christianity. Um, but let me tell you today, you can be lost even if you tithe, even if you attend church, even if you know all the lyrics, if you've memorized the scripture, you can still be lost. And I don't, I'm not saying necessarily that you can lose your salvation. That's not what I'm preaching. What I'm saying is lostness is not determined by your religious activity. Lostness is about your proximity to the God, to our Father. You may have lost your way. You may have lost your heart. You may have lost your first love, Jesus Christ. Maybe you've wandered into church this morning because you just are at a low that you, you're going, I need hope and help. Well, I have, I have great news for you. God's word has a remedy and has hope for us today. A great lyric from the song that we just sang, and we, I'm so glad as Haley led it we, and the band led it, we repeated this lyric, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That is the reality of the walk of a believer. That is the reality of the walk of life. We are prone to wander. And so I ask you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, which is where we're hanging out. But just to give you a little bit of context of where we're at, um, in Luke chapter 14, verse 25, if you look there, it says this, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and he said to them, This is Jesus who they are, this great crowd is turning to. And, and Jesus is speaking to a massive crowd, okay, a big crowd. All right, and, and what he preaches to them is he preaches two parables and he pairs them together because when he pairs two parables together, he's got a point to make. He's got a point to make that there's a bit of a tension. And he, the first parable he shares is the parable of a man set out to build a tower and he only builds the foundation. And the second parable he shares is the parable of a king with an invading kingdom and he's got to choose while that invading kingdom is far off, do I surrender now or do I risk all my people and my kingdom being lost? And these two parables are really to 
cull the crowd a little bit to kind of make them make a decision. Because that first parable, what it's saying is this. Have you decided... Have you figured out the cost of following me? You might think you're going to build a tower, but you only had enough money to build a foundation. He's asking them, have you counted the cost of what it means to follow me? And then when he talks about this king and kingdom, this invading kingdom, what he's implying is he's saying that there's an inevitable reality. And here's the inevitable reality. All of us are going to die. The death rate of people is 100%. And so he's saying that is inevitable and we all sin and we are all destined for hell based off of our sin. And he's saying this, there is an invading kingdom that is coming its way. Have you decided, can you afford to not surrender to Jesus Christ? So the two questions that he's polarizing for this great crowd are, can you afford to follow me and can you afford to not follow me? And suddenly the crowd changed. Interesting enough. As we get to the passage we're looking at in 15, chapter 1, here's who's left of this great crowd. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were there as well. So here's the two audience members we have. We have the tax collector sinners and we have the Pharisee scribes. These are who's left of the great crowd. You see, tax collectors... They were Jews who taxed their own countrymen to support the occupying Roman terrorist government. They were taxing their own countrymen to give money to the Roman government. They were, they, and, and these types of tax collectors that they're talking about, Zacchaeus was kind of a, a managing tax collector. He would have overseen these types of tax collectors. Zacchaeus would have been distant. You would have, he would have sent you the bill and you would have had to pay. But these guys, and these ladies, they would have been the ones that lived in your strata. They would have been the ones that lived in your apartment complex. They would have been the ones that lived right around the corner from you. All right, These are the ones who are extorting you. These are the ones who are sending Roman officers to give you a little push and nudge and say, you've got to pay up. Okay, These are not distant people. There's reason. It makes sense. We get why they didn't like these tax collectors. They were bullies known as that way. And then you have people known as sinners. Literally, they're just called sinners because they're at the point in life where they have to accept that their identity before everyone is that they are a sinner. They have to accept that their sin has been so public that this is all they're going to be known for. So this is one crowd that has remained. And the other part of the crowd are the Pharisee scribes. The Pharisee scribes, they were lawyers of the law. They knew the law in and out, and their goal was not only to keep themselves obeying the law, but to remind others of it. We love people who just remind us how we fail, don't we? And they would, they would limit the amount of steps they took on the Sabbath just to prove. They would count their steps in order to prove that they weren't working on the Sabbath. They were, I don't know, scrutinous. They were, they were so... They had holiness and righteousness down to a math and a science. These are the two types of people leaning in. One known for how bad they were, and the other one known for how, I'm going to say, quote, unquote, good they were. The tax collectors and the sinners were probably leaning in, looking for a remedy from Jesus, a hope despite how bad they are. While the Pharisees and scribes were there looking for approval, for how good they are, or better yet, they were looking to prove how bad Jesus was. These are the types of people here. And I, my, I would assert that these are the two types of people here today. That's us. We have one of two options. That's us. We either wander in one of these two ways. This is exactly how we lose our way. We start with the curiosity of maybe God doesn't see the bad thing I'm doing. 
and maybe I can get away with it. Or we maybe start with the curiosity of, God will bless me if he sees how good I am. We have our Pharisee scribes and we have our tax collector sinners. If you live your life avoiding God and hiding your sin, then you will inevitably end up lost and wandering far from the Father's heart. But if you live your life hoping God will just see your good behavior, give you a pat on the back and say, I approve of you and you're going to make all my approval through good things, if you live that way, you'll end up lost and wandering from the Father's heart. See, what we're going to see is that Jesus, as he teaches, he shows that the gospel, the good news of Jesus is this, that the true Father calls us away from both of these ways of living. And I pray that the word would work in my life today, that it would work in yours, that we would be found by the Father, not lost, but returned to him from our wandering, returned to him from our wandering ways. Today's message is to invite your wandering heart and my wandering heart to find its home in Jesus Christ. So would you look with me in Luke chapter 15? There's three stories, three parables here. There's the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. Join me in verse 3. So he told them this parable, What man, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or, what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors and she says, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And here's his final story, his final parable. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between his two sons. It would have been one-third to the younger and two-thirds to the older, by the way. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country. Maybe he was trying to end up in late country. Um, But he ended up in a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine rose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went out and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that far off country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Oink, oink. And he was, I have children under four. I I know what a sound a pig makes. We rehearse it regularly. Um, And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and he felt compassion. And he ran, and he embraced him, and he kissed him, And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quickly, 
get the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring, bring the fattened calf out. Let's kill it, let's eat, and celebrate. For this my son, he was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard the music, he heard the dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry, and he refused to go. And his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, he has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. Bless the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, Lord God, in our hearts today, we need to run to you. <laughs> we thank you that you, oh God, receive us. You love us. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Thank you that your word calls us back. Thank you that you have a, the heart of a father for us. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So since we're all wanderers, and maybe you feel far from God today, maybe you've been in this place where you wonder, am I too far gone? We get there, right? Am I too far gone? I've been in this place before. Or maybe you've never lived such a hollow Christian walk. Maybe coming to church and singing the songs, maybe being part of a small group is all just really empty and you're wondering, am I a lost cause? How far would God go to have me back might be the question you're asking. And I'm just going to encourage you and say that God has said that we are going to be found at any cost, at any cost. In every one of these stories, there's a commitment of search or sacrifice to retrieve what's lost. In your Bibles, look with me in 15, chapter 15, verse 4. It says this, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost? But it doesn't stop there. It has four more words. It says this, Until he finds it. Until he finds it. God is not just searching willy-nilly for any sheep. He is searching until he finds it that you see in this shepherd. And then the woman in verse, uh, verse 8. Or what woman, having set ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house, seek diligently until she finds it. This is not a hopeful search. I hope I find it. This is not that kind of search. This is a determined, I am not stopping until I go and get this back. Have you ever searched for anything with that kind of determination? I feel like I do it every day. <laughs> every day I lose my keys and my wife is rolling her eyes right now and I love her. Um, I'm not, I always say, I'm not going to work until I find my keys. And mostly it's because I can't drive my car without my keys, right? Um, but my wife wanted me to remind you, I actually only live about a minute away from the church. I could walk, but um, I'm not on that whole Okanagan healthy lifestyle yet. Um, you say, I say Okanagan healthy lifestyle, you say lazy. All right. Um, <laughs> and not long ago, I was at the beach, and we always take our keys 
put them in the top of the stroller and in a space where they should stay, should stay. And I was pulling the stroller back and I opened that up and oh no, where are my keys? Well, if you see my keys ever, they have this little square on them. I don't know if the camera can see that, but there's a little square on them. It's a tile. It's a, I'm not sponsored by tile this morning. Okay, I just want you to know there's other devices. Uh, but this is a thing that if you press a button on your phone, it starts to ring and, uh, and so, uh, not too long ago, if you were at Gyro Beach, you would have seen me with my ear to the sand trying to find my keys. And I wasn't just trying to get in touch with the sand and the water. I was looking for my keys. And I was determined to find them. See, in these stories, they're not just searching for a sheep or a coin. They are searching for a very specific sheep, a specific coin with such determination to find it. That's how God comes searching for us. What beauty in that when it comes to searching and spending and sacrificing for something that really matters or someone that really matters in our life, we are determined, amen? God is even more determined to search and seek and save the lost and the wandering. It doesn't say how long or what obstacles in these stories necessarily. It simply dictates the committed attitude of the shepherd and the woman. That's God's heart for us. God does not give up on you. Let me tell you that this morning. God has not given up on you. God does not give up on us. Praise the Lord. Because you know what? We give up on us. We give up on ourselves. We give up on the church. We give up on God. But he never gives up on his search for you. He never gives up on his search for your heart. God is seeking more of your heart today. He's seeking more of my heart today. And the question is, will we run to him? Will we embrace him? Even in the story of the prodigal son, I said to you, the father may not, he didn't, he didn't run off to the far country, but he went out and he ran. That would have been really um, inappropriate for a patriarch at that time. Okay, a patriarch would not run out. He would walk slowly. And some have even said it's because of the type of cloak they would have worn. They would have worn a cloak similar to what you get at the hospital, a little gown that goes and there's a big, and they're supposed to overlap, but if you go too far, they might if you go too fast, they might not be overlapping anymore. That's the theory about why it would have been extremely shameful for a father to run. He would not have run. It would have been a slow, you know, very powerful manly walk that they would have expected. But he ran for his son because he saw the son he loves and he embraced him. He sacrificed a third of his savings and earnings to send it off with his son. And when his son came back, he didn't say, you owe me. He said, let's spend more in celebrating your back. I don't know about you. I feel like I'm a pretty good dad, but if my kids spent a third of my earnings and savings and came back and they had debt, I'd be like, you know, pay for your own meal. You know, you got to work it off. But we see a God and a father who goes and spends more because no price tag is too high for this father to have his son or daughter home. Our God is a good God. Because God paid the greatest price, the greatest cost ever to have you. He died, his son Jesus Christ came and died on a cross and offered a payment for you. And that payment isn't just for once. It's not a payment for something that you asked for forgiveness a while ago. That payment covers all sins, all wandering, all lostness of all time for you. Praise the Lord. You see, the Pharisees at the very beginning, verse 2, this is what the Pharisees are saying. They think they get Jesus, right? This is what they said. This man receives sinners and he eats with them. That's what they said. You know what the gospel says? The gospel says this man chases after sinners, finds them, and he dies for them. Luke 19.10 says the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. A few months ago, we had a bit of a scare. I was at the office and Becca gave me a call because... She couldn't find Diana, 
my second, uh, my, my second, and uh, she's only two. And, and so what had happened was she was with the kids and she had put them in the same place. We always put them in, in a safe place where they would just stay there. She would go around the corner, open the door and be able to let them in, right? Well, she comes back and Diana's not there. And Parker's not sure where she had gone and suddenly it went into chaos. We don't know what's happening. And, and a mother's heart sinks. I'm sure some of your hearts are like, <gasps> right now. Even just reminding myself, it just it hurts my heart to think that my wife went through this and, and, and my daughter went through this. And so what had happened is Becca's there and suddenly she hears the screeching of cars stopping and somebody saying, get out of the road! We have a river behind our house. Our thoughts went to just the worst places, of course. And so I'm on my way home uh, after she had called me from the office. And uh, fortunately, I've driven my car that day so I can drive back. Um, and... Uh, and I called, the, I called the police on the way because I just, I'm, that's it. I don't, it's my daughter, anything. I'm going to call everyone and anyone, and we're going to find her. I don't care. And uh, so I get there, and I'm on the phone with the police describing my beautiful two-year-old girl. And, and, um, and, I, and Becca had already been in the house looking around, and, and I just said, okay, you go this way, I'll go this way. I went inside the house, and she had gotten stuck in the stairwell between a door at the bottom of the stairwell, and there's a baby gate at the top. And Diana, we had been calling for her. We went inside and called her name, but she was just sitting there quietly crying, just all alone. Fortunately, we found her, and I told the police officer, I said, I'm, I, you know, we found her. This is great news. And they're like, that's so good. The person on the, or whoever was on the phone said, that's such, such good news. And, and, uh, and I said, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry I wasted your time. She said, this is no waste of time. It's your daughter. It's not a waste of time. I'm glad you found her. We have a God who chases after us, and it's not a waste of time. It's not a worry about cost or price. Nothing is too costly or pricey for him to return what's lost, especially when it's your lost child. And you can see in these stories, Jesus actually is making a progression with each story. The first story, there's one of a hundred sheep, right? The second story, it's one of ten coins. And the, second, the last story, it's the story of one of two sons, both lost from the father in fellowship and, and care. And what we find out is that it actually does, does continue. It went from one in a hundred to one in ten to one of two. And what we'd actually find out in scripture is the reality that it goes down to this, that God gave his one and only son for us. His only son, his one and only son. That's the price that God is willing to pay for you and I to be found. What good news. Because Jesus Christ was unjustly treated, unjustly convicted. Jesus was willing to be forsaken by the father. He endured the wrath of the father to the point of death on our behalf. How far will God go to have you? He will send his one and only son to die for you. Good news, amen. It's all good and well to know that God would do this. But to be honest, some of us actually ask you the second question, which is this, why would God do this? Why do I matter to God? I can sometimes believe really easily that God would go and send his son to die for somebody else. Sometimes the hardest thing to believe is that he would die for me. But what we discover is that we are precious to him. We see this in this word. We see that we are precious to God. We are precious to him because we are his. God's desire for you and I to be returned is deeply personal. It's not pragmatic. Here's, here's the reality. God does not need us. God does not need you. He does not need me. He's not sitting around going, I need them. What he's saying is he wants us. 
and he wants us to experience the joy of being his. That's the crazy thing. He doesn't need us, yet he wants us. And in all three of these stories, something is lost. And the sh- again, the shepherd doesn't seek out a sheep, but his sheep. The woman, not a coin, but her coin. The father longs for this fellowship of his sons. It's about ownership. It's about relationship. Regardless of what had happened, they were precious. They were owned. And the one seeking them out wanted them. And here's the good news for you today. The good news is that you are precious to God because you are his. And it's not because of what you've done. It's not because of what you've done. You look at the tax collector sinners and you look at the Pharisee scribes. They're focused on what they're doing. And Jesus is there. He's saying, I chase after my sheep and coin, my sons. I go after them and I retrieve them because they are mine. And this is so important. Because remember those two ways we wander? We wander but from God by thinking we're too bad or we wander from God by thinking we're good enough. The fear of some of us today and the fear of those, the sinner tax collector is that God knows how bad we are. That's a fear, that God knows just how bad we are. And the hope of the Pharisee scribes and the hope of some of us today is that God sees just how good we are. Some of us are hoping that God sees how good we are. But the Bible says this, that the worst thing you've ever done is not beyond God's forgiveness. The worst thing you've ever done is not beyond God's forgiveness. Because you could never commit a sin more valuable than the life of Jesus Christ. You could never do that. And so today, if if you're feeling lost and distant from God, today, sinner, you need to accept the forgiveness of God. You need to accept that he has forgiven you. But for the Pharisees here today, you need to be told that the best thing you've ever done, for us who might think that we are good enough, we need to be told that the best thing you could ever do is not enough to earn God's favor. It's not enough to earn your way into heaven. You could never do something more valuable than Jesus' conquering of death. You could never do something better than that. You and I can never be good enough. So stop striving for God's approval. It's already been won in the blood of Jesus Christ. Wandering happens when we try these paths of performance. They want, we wander because we're, we think that we're closest to God when we, uh, when we hide our sin or we think we're closest to God when we show him how good we are. But this is what it says. We're closest to God when we realize that and praise God because he has sought us out. We, we are closest to God when we praise him for how he found us. We are closest to God when we praise him for how he paid the price we couldn't pay so that we could be precious to him. He did all of that because he wants all of us. He wants all of us. And he doesn't want us to be distracted by performance. So he did all of this so we might become adopted sons and daughters. I I appreciated Josh sharing about the youth ministry. I love youth ministry. I I did it for a few years um, back in Oshawa. And and one of the things that would happen is teens would come to me and they'd want to confess what's going on in their life. They're like looking for someone to confide in. They're looking for help. And... um, and that was a privilege. And what they were looking for was they were looking for accountability. And I pretty much always have the same policy, and this is a policy we have as a church that we try to do as much as possible. I always tell them, you should go and tell your parents. And, they, and, and most of them are shocked because they're really telling me to avoid telling their parents, right? But the reality is I say, you should go and tell your parents. And I have to tell them a, a, a pretty obvious but not always obvious truth. I don't love you as much as your parents love you. I just don't. Your parents love you so much. 90% of the time, 99% of the time, this was the reality that I could tell them, just go and tell your parents. I'd say to them, listen, you could go tell your parents on your own or I can come with you. And again, 99% of the time, they decided to do it on their own, which is good. 
Because even though there might be a lot of fighting and there might be a lot of backbiting and arguing and your parents may annoy you to all ends, teenagers, they love you so much. They put up with you. They still feed you, okay? They put clothes on you and they put you in a room, okay? And they take care of you. And they do it because they love you. And they don't just love you for your highest moments of, of graduation and nights rites of passage. Your parents are jealous of the fact, I would say to them, your parents are jealous of the fact that you're talking to me. They would want you to come to them. And that's the kind of love our Father, our God has for us. He is the kind of, he's the kind of God that doesn't just want to be with us in the highs. He wants to be present with us in the lows. He wants to be the one that we run to. God wants you. God wants you to run to him and to return to him as, your, as him as your father. Like the shepherd wanted his sheep and the woman her coin and the father the fellowship of his sons. You matter to God because you're his. And nothing you can say or do will change his desire for you. What good news. Putting your faith in Jesus, it means stop putting your faith in your performance or lack thereof. Jesus is the only way for you to be returned to the Father. Embracing Jesus Christ as Savior is the only way that you can be embraced by the Father. No matter how good, no matter how bad you are. So here's the encouragement from the stories. God loves you because you're precious to him. And you're precious to him because you're his. It's got nothing to do with what you've done. Good or bad, praise the Lord. You are precious to God regardless. Lay off yourself the pressure of performance. And you know what's the greatest thing about this? When you start to embrace that you are approved before the Father by Jesus, because of the work of Jesus Christ, now you will actually have freedom from sin. Now you will actually have freedom to, to worship God freely, to chase after holiness and purity, not with the idea of maybe if I do this, God will bless me, but with the idea that God has done so much for me, I'm going to celebrate by living for him. Then and only then will you have freedom. Then and only then will you discover true joy. It doesn't come from trying to please God. It comes from enjoying God's pleasure he has in you as his precious one through Jesus Christ. And this leads us to our third point, and this is what gets me excited. If you, don't, if you think I'm excited, this is exciting, okay? Third point. Why is there a party in every one of these stories? There's a party in every one of these stories. It's an interesting thing. Why a party? Why not just the, the shepherd going, oh, I got my sheep, that's great, let's just go home and you know, have a little you know, sip of coffee and kick my feet up and no. Call the neighbors, call the family, call everyone together. The, the, the father, when he kills the fattened calf, that wasn't just for him and his servants. The killing of a fattened calf was like, okay, open invite, everybody's coming over, whole party of the whole town, come on over. We are celebrating. How joyful is God at our return? His joy is overflowing. It's not something he can keep to himself. It's something he wants to spread. These stories tell us that the type of joy God has over the return of one of his own is, is overflowing. He doesn't just celebrate by himself. The shepherd doesn't just have joy and keep it to himself. He invites his neighbors. The woman invites the neighbors and friends. The father kills the fattened calf. This is God's joy. God's joy in the return of one of his precious ones. His joy is so big, it's so wide, it's so overflowing that he invites others to carry his joy with him. He doesn't need to. He's not, it's not like he's weak and he can't just celebrate on his own. He just loves sharing his joy with other people. The Bible talks about how as believers we are to carry each other's burdens, but this is a beautiful picture of how God invites us to carry his joy with him. 
That's such good news. God is strong enough and big enough, but he invites us to be joyful because of him. Look, this, is, this gives a whole new context. These three stories give a brand new, beautiful way to look at Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Read, read, I'll read this out with you. Hebrews 2, 12, 1 to 3 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This passage, that joy set before Jesus, Jesus, when, he is, when, when he's talking about joy, these are the stories that talk about the joy that Jesus has. The type of joy where when someone returns to the fold, that there's a party for everyone. Jesus looked at the pain of the cross. He looked at what it would mean to endure the wrath of God. He knew what it would mean to be forsaken. And for him, he knew that kind of joy was awaiting him, and he did it. He went through. He paid the price. He did that on our behalf because the kind of joy that overflows into everywhere in the heavens, that all of the heavens would sing, that kind of joy is worth it. That kind of party is worth it. You know, it, it, it's, it's answering the question, what do you get a God who can get everything for himself? We have people like this in life. What do you get a person who, who buys everything for themselves? Does anybody have a person in their family, it's frustrating to buy them gifts? Yes, yes, okay, no one. There's probably because you're sitting beside them, that's why you're not putting your hand up. So if you didn't put your hand up, then it's, uh, um, no, but we have people in our life who are like this, who are just so hard to buy for. They just, because they're the, like, my dad's like this. It's like, we should go get data. Oh, he already bought himself one. Uh, we should go get, oh, no, he has one of those. He, he's like, oh, well, I needed it, so I went and got it. And you're like, what do you do for a person? Because he's also incredibly generous. What do you do for a person who's like that? Well, there's two options. One is let them spread their joy in quiet and with no one around. <laughs> let them have a little peace sometimes. That's what they want. They just want to be left alone. But then there's the other type, which is kind of like my father, who says, get everyone together. Let's have a party. Let's get all the family, all the grandkids, all the aunts and uncles. Let's, let's you know, we don't have a cat and, fattened calf to kill, but let's put on the roast beef and the slow cooker, and let's have a good time. And my dad, you could just see him there, just quietly sitting there in his chair. He's like, he's not, he's not a big smiler, but he is happy as can be, you can tell, because the family's all together. God is like this. We can't get anything for God. He has everything he needs. Yet, his joy is made so full in having his family together and celebrating the return of his children into his fellowship. And that is what we hear. That's God. He wants to rejoice over our return by spreading his joy throughout the heavens and in us. And by the way, just as a, a caveat, this, this celebration is about God. This celebration, these Sunday mornings, what we do, these celebrations are about God. We are celebrating him because it's not about celebrating the sheep finding its way. It's not even about the coin. It's about the father. It's about him and his joy, his rejoicing in the returning of his family. Zephaniah 3.17 says this about God's rejoice. It says this, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love and he will exalt you over you with loud singing. Charles Spurgeon 
He preached a lot on this passage, by the way. I googled Charles Spurgeon's pa- uh, preaching on uh, Luke 15, and uh, I came up with a measly 200 pages of sermons. <laughs> um, it was incredible stuff to read as far as I could get. And here's what he says about this. I, I love this. Oh, brethren, there is enough joy in the heart of Christ over his saved ones to flood all of heaven with delight. The streets of paradise run knee deep, no, shoulder deep with the heavenly waters of the Savior's joy. They flow out of the very soul of Christ and angels and glorified spirits bathe in the mighty stream. Let us do the same. We are, if we are friends, we are neighbors. He calls us today to come and bring our hearts like empty vessels that he may fill them with his own joy, that our joy may be full. This is beautiful because here's the reality of the gospel. When we respond to the gospel, we get to join the party. We get to join the party, the celebration that God is celebrating the returning of his sons and daughters. We join the gathering of people, of heavenly beings. Every Sunday when we do this, we're joining with the heavens. And we are carrying God's joy. We are bathing in his joy. Whenever a sinner turns from his sin, whenever a wanderer is returned, there's great cause for celebration. And, and so this is, this is this for us. In light of all this, knowing, knowing that we're all wanderers in a way, we're all tempted, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. In light of these parables, in light of the fact that we have a God who is calling us to be found and not lost, I think we have cause to celebrate, amen? We have cause to celebrate him for all that he has done. Maybe some of you today, maybe it's time for you to join the party. Maybe you stepped out for a little bit like the older brother, you know, and, uh, and you've kind of lost your heart for the father. That, that happens. We wander and we get lost. Or maybe you've been reluctant to come and praise God to give him glory and to give your life over to Jesus Christ because you just have been feeling so guilty, so weighted with the guilt of your sin. Wandering heart, I call you to return home to your father today. You are precious to God. And he will find you at any cost, including dying on a cross for you. And he wants you to be close to him. We're going to sing a song called Amazing Grace, where the lost become found, the blind get to see. I think some of us need to not just sing the song. I think some of us are, are, need to respond Respond by getting up and being prayed over. Respond and saying, I need to run back to the Father. You know, it's been a, it's been a long couple of years here, hasn't it? And, and whether you've been stopping going to church through the pandemic, or maybe you were part of church the whole time, but never really giving your heart to the Lord, that happens. I'm calling the wanderers to come home, be found today. I'm not calling. What am I saying? God is calling the wanderers to be found this morning. So here's what I'm going to say. While we sing this song, I'm going to invite, uh, we have uh, some ushers, we have some leaders, and they, they'll have a little name tag hopefully on them or a, a tag that says, I'm here to serve. Feel, feel free. They're going to be at the back. So you don't have to come to the front and be embarrassed or anything, but so you feel welcome to just go to the back and go and be prayed for. Make that commitment before the Lord. And for the rest of us, 
We're going to sing. We're going to sing with joy. Sing with the overflowing joy of God in our lives, carrying his joy with him of the amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Let's pray. Lord, may you receive the glory this morning. May you receive the praise. Oh God, it is your name we want to lift high. It is your name that is above all other names. Thank you, oh God, for what you did. Thank you that your word continue, calls, continue to, to call us back from wandering. Lead us, O oh Lord, to embrace you, to stop trying to perform, to stop trying to hide, to stop trying to impress you, but to be embraced by the Father, knowing that the Son paid the price for us. Thank you for Jesus Christ. What amazing grace. We will sing it with joy with the heavens. Amen.